Good morning, all. Weren't the children great? Wasn't it so well done? Wow, I was so, so impressed. Boy, they've been troopers, too. This is number four for them this weekend. So, wow, they were, uh, they were really impressive. So thanks to everyone who made that possible, uh, all the leaders and the parents, and the kids were spectacular. So I know that was a blessing to you. Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so thrilled that you're here on this Palm Sunday. I know Disciple Now has been going on all weekend. You've had a good weekend, I guess. I've heard good things. Yeah. It's good to be a follower of Jesus. Knowing Jesus really matters. Following Jesus makes all the difference in your life. So the things you're learning right now are things that I hope you'll hang on to all, the, all of your days. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Paris, and we're so thrilled you're here on this Palm Sunday beginning of Holy Week, and I just want to reiterate what Pastor Glenn said about the open house on Friday, Good Friday this week. You can come as it's convenient to you in the sanctuary, just go through the green awning into the sanctuary, and we will have stations of prayer there, concluding with communion from 11 in the morning till 7 at night. Come, come as you uh, come as you will, and it's going to be very, very meaningful uh, much preparation has gone into it, and you will find it a great blessing. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that uh, holy moment. So thanks for uh, participating. Today we're going to look at the Gospel of John. We're finishing up this series we've called Sojourner, the Life of Jesus. We've seen Jesus with his closest relationships. We've seen him dealing with his enemies. We've seen him at the crossroads of a major decision in his life. We learned from all of those things. Last week we imagined Jesus on the cross. And today we want to talk about the resurrection and how the disciples were processing the reality of who Jesus is as the resurrected Christ. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at John's Gospel, John chapter 20. I'm going to read for us verses 24 to 31. And our custom here is to stand to honor God's word. So as you're able, would you please? John 20, beginning at verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And may God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. The room was actually choked with dark confusion. This was a number of days now since the resurrection, and the stories were fragmented, coming together gradually. These reports should have filled the disciples with great joy and anticipation. And in fact, it would have, except that these reports had come, it seemed, from all the wrong people and all the wrong places. Peter, never one for a complex explanation, simply spread his huge hands, palms up, and shrugged his shoulders and said, look, 
I can't, I can't tell you. I, I can barely explain what I have seen, let alone what I haven't seen. John, who is younger and given to more thought, offered a simple fact, not an explanation, but a fact. You'll remember that John ran ahead of Peter the morning of the resurrection, and he got to the tomb first, and when he looked in, the tomb was empty. John reports, I only know what I saw. That tomb was empty. This brought a murmur from the rest of the guys in the room. Peter, Peter went in, he said, ask him. And Peter said, look, I only saw the empty tomb just like John. Now one of the three guys that had been on the road to Emmaus, he speaks up. He says, look, I don't need anyone to tell me what they saw or what they didn't see. All I can tell you is that I know what I saw. I saw, along with these two friends of mine, that we walked along the road with Jesus to Emmaus, and when we broke bread with him, he opened our eyes, and we realized who he was. We saw him. Andrew then speaks up and says, in Emmaus, why would a resurrected Jesus show up in Emmaus? And why would Jesus speak to Mary in the garden the morning of the resurrection? He said, none of this makes sense. There are too many loose ends. He said, I'm just, a, I'm just an old fisherman, and I tell you, you can't weave a net from broken threads. At this point, the most thoughtful, cautious disciple of them all, Thomas, he stands to his feet, raises his hands. Now, this was out of character for him, and so everyone stopped, and they listened to him, and this is what he said. Now, listen, I speak only for myself. I'm not trying to persuade any one of you and get you to believe anything that I'm thinking. But I want you to stop and realize what you're what you're considering, what you're actually saying. Think about it. Resurrection from the dead. Maybe you guys who were on the road to Emmaus, you saw his ghost. It was not a ghost. He said, okay, let me finish. It was Jesus in the flesh, and if it was Jesus in the flesh, he is really resurrected. Then logic says that he must have been raised in the same body. Someone says, well, I don't know what logic has to do with it. He said, well, okay. But he says, logic says that body must have the marks of his resurrection. If he's in a new body, then where is the old, the one we knew? No, if he's really alive, and I'm not saying I believe this, but if he is alive, would not the scars still be there? And then Thomas concluded, well, so my position is clear. Until I put my finger in the nail holes, I will not believe. Until... I put my hand in that place. You all saw that soldier, that centurion, ran that spear up under his ribs until I put my hand in that wound. I will not believe. No one could think of a response. The room was quiet. The brothers who claimed to have seen him at the table in Emmaus grimaced, shook their heads. They said nothing. What was there to say? I mean, Thomas had drawn a line in the sand, right? He had dared God to prove himself in this matter. They didn't know if Thomas was bold or just presumptuous, but they all decided, well, I guess that's fair enough. And then, in the next instant, there's a flash of light in the room. Not just gradual, you know, on the rheostat, but I mean immediate light dispelling all the darkness from the room. It, it shocked all of them. They gasped and kind of leaned back. And then, in the next moments, Jesus is standing in their midst. Now, the Bible says that the door was locked, which means Jesus, <laughs> Jesus didn't come through the door. Jesus didn't 
cut a hole in a wall. He didn't break through the wall. He simply passed through the wall as a man would pass through air. And he's standing in their midst. And they are stunned. They are slack-jawed. There he is. And he walks right over to Thomas, holds out his hands. He says, Thomas, you need proof? Here's the proof. Go ahead. Touch, touch the scars in my hands and the one in my side. This is what you wanted, right? This is what you needed to believe. So here I am. Not a, not a tone of disappointment, not a tone of rejection toward Thomas at all. Just here it is. And Thomas, after a quick examination of the resurrected body of Jesus, falls to the ground like someone had hit him with a hammer, just falls to the ground, and he exclaims, my Lord and my God. Which, by the way, uh, if you're interested, is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus is called both Lord and God without qualification, without equivocation. He's called God my Lord, and my God. I think uh, all of our relationships, the, the loving, nurturing relationships that all of us have are woven together, if you will, listen, are woven together by a series of deaths and resurrections. Think about it. It's uh, that poignant moment when you separate from someone dear to you. They get in the car, they drive away, they load up on the plane, they fly away, and you feel the death of that separation. It's, it's when you've been married for a long time and your spouse has to be in another city, and so you, you go to bed that night and the other is not there. It's a death of sorts. But the reunions are made sweet, aren't they? These reunions are resurrection-like. It's, it's that wonderful moment when the family member arrives back home or you meet them at the airport and there's this warm embrace and kisses on the face. It's the military person who has come home after their deployment. I, I urge you to go on YouTube, if you, if you would, and just Google uh, veterans returning home and just watch these episodes that have been filmed, now taped, where family members greet loved ones who have come home for military service. It is very, very moving. It's the young girl, the daughter, the little girl who watches her daddy go out the door in the morning. Where are you going, daddy? I'm going to work. And suddenly he is out of sight. You know, the, the old adage is out of sight, out of mind. And for the, the small child, she can't see her daddy. She can't feel her daddy. She can't hear her daddy. And so daddy is gone to whatever at work means. It's a death of sorts. She, she has a memory of her daddy. She has hope that he will return, but for the time being, he is dead. He is gone. He's at work. And you can imagine then the joy in this little girl's heart when at the end of the day when daddy pulls in the driveway and she goes bouncing out the front door with the joy and the excitement and the unfettered thrill of meeting her daddy. Daddy is home, and not just merely home, but he has now been resurrected from at work. He is not home in general, but he is at home for her. All of these relationships are a tapestry of death and resurrection. I want to make this statement. It's in your outline. Every personal encounter with God is a resurrection experience. Every personal encounter with God is a resurrection experience. He meets us by the garden tomb. He calls us by name just as he did for Mary 
that first morning of the resurrection, and he drives away the death of separation. After our failures, after our foibles, after our falling to the urgency of death and sin in our own lives, after those collapses in our own hearts, Jesus is there to offer love and acceptance and forgiveness, to give us resurrection to newness of life. And this is how our relationship is built. As he approached from a distance, her eyes were filled with rebuke. Four days of mourning had left Martha. Her grief now turned to anger. She was so disappointed. She was so hurt. She was so angry. And as Jesus got within earshot, she said, where were you? Why didn't you come? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. What happened to you? Her brother Lazarus, four days dead, had already been buried. The funeral was over. And Martha was very hurt. Jesus, without any tone of disappointment or self-defense, simply walked up to Martha and tears now brimmed in his eyes and spilled over. The Bible then reports the shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. His compassion for this woman, her family, began to soften her heart and the, those who noticed his compassion toward her and she began to reason, well, it really wasn't his fault. People die, people get sick and die, it happens. If he had been here, maybe, maybe God would have healed my brother Lazarus, maybe not, God knows. And I do know that Jesus loved my brother, I know that Jesus loves me and my family. And so her resolve to be angry began to diminish. Jesus then asked a very interesting question. The first words he speaks, he looks at Martha and he asks this question, do you believe that your brother will rise? What kind of a question is that? And she says, well, I know he will rise as we all will. And he, she wondered, what, is he testing me? Am I a rabbi that I should answer these theological questions? Maybe he, he thinks I'm a Sadducee who doesn't believe in the resurrection. Of course, we all know Messiah is going to raise the dead. She had been told that from her girlhood. Of course, she believed in the resurrection. So she says, yes, my brother will rise in the resurrection. His response then stunned her and sent a wave of murmuring back through the crowd that was eavesdropping on the conversation. It's reported in John 11, verse 25. Look at it on the screen with me. Jesus simply said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So as it turns out, Jesus himself, when he says, I am the resurrection, that Jesus himself is the greatest truth of all. Think about that. Neither his deeds nor his blessings nor those wonderful words spoken about him are the great truth. As it turns out, he is the way the truth, and the life. He is also the resurrection, Jesus. 
It's not just that someday Messiah will raise the dead, though that would be hope enough for us, of course. The great truth, in fact, the magnificent truth, and the truth that I want to teach you this morning, the magnificent truth is that in him we have already been raised, already alive unto him. In him we're already raised to newness of life, to fullness of life, to abundance of life. There is a great resurrection to come indeed, but its power is already at work in us. You are, as, uh, you are as alive today in this moment as you will ever be. You're as alive today as you will be a thousand years from now, a million years from now. You are alive unto God because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens our mortal bodies. Resurrection power, the resurrection, Jesus himself is alive in us and we are alive unto him. It's a magnificent truth. One that we undervalue, underestimate because we get caught up in the obfuscation, the confusion, the debris of life and the challenges of life and living in, the, in these earth suits and the, and the weaknesses and the frailty that comes to us. But the fact still remains that the same Jesus who is resurrection and life lives in us and we have that power available to us. Philippians 1.21, the Apostle Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There it is. That's true because the resurrection is already at work in us. His resurrection power is already at work in all the dimensions of our lives. The person who says, my marriage is dead. It is dead. And there is no hope because it is dead. There is no pulse. There is no life. Is a person who does not appreciate or understand the resurrection power of God, because it's God's ability, it's God's desire, it's God's move, it's his MO, it's God's thing to take something that is utterly dead and resurrect it to life. He did it with Jesus, and he can do it with you. It's an amazing thing. Resurrection power of God. It's true in our intellect, it's true in our creativity, it's true in our relationships, it's true in our businesses, that the power of his resurrection is at work in us. We have all kinds of people with all kinds of bondages. We're imprisoned to various things. Some are imprisoned to lust, some are imprisoned to bitterness or unforgiveness, some are imprisoned to alcoholism or drug addiction. There's a horrible opioid, heroin uh, epidemic in our culture right now. Virtually every family in this room today can cite someone we know that is affected by this addiction. It's, it's, it's pandemic. It's horrible. Having said that, there are answers, there are support systems, there are the psychological sciences and medical treatment and other advantages that can help people. But first and foremost, and ultimately, the hope for any kind of imprisonment and the liberation hope that we have in those bondage situations is the resurrection power of Jesus. We look to him because in and of ourselves we are not able to overcome the unique challenges of life. I want you to think about Judas Iscariot for a moment. You remember Judas? He was one of the 12 disciples. He was the treasurer of the group. He was materialistic, got a little off track. He's the one who betrayed Jesus, turned him in, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And then ultimately Judas, having murdered the truth, the life, and hope, he murdered himself. Judas hanged himself. He aborted himself. 
That was Judas' legacy. And let me just suggest to you that we live in a Judas world. We live in a Judas culture in the United States today. And we are obsessed with abortions. A Judas spirit. We abort our babies. We abort our marriages. We abort our careers. We abort our faith. We abort our lives. We cast away the things that represent life to us all the time in record numbers, in a mad celebration of death. We even ceremonialize it. There are churches now in America, United Methodist churches that I'm aware of, that now have divorce ceremonies. People are going to get a divorce. Let's celebrate that. These people are separating. Praise the Lord. They're going off to new and better things. Praise the Lord. Really, to mark the abortion of a marriage, women who have aborted babies now in our culture are held up as suffering heroes. Hear the term, suffering heroes. Suffering, yes. Objects of God's love, yes. Objects of God's forgiveness and healing grace, precious in the sight of God, yes. Suffering, yes. Acceptable to the church, forgiven and restored, and invited again with open arms into the fellowship of the faith, the family of faith, yes. Suffering, yes. Heroes, no. No. No, no. Not a hero. Perhaps the day is fast approaching when postmoderns will read the New Testament and declare that Judas, Judas Iscariot, is now the patron saint of our generation. I mean, think about it. Why not? He acted boldly, refusing to knuckle under to such prosaic notions and conventions like loyalty and devotion to purpose and loyalty to good friends. He managed to find personal advantage, even profit, 30 pieces of silver. It's obviously an inevitable tragedy waiting to happen. Jesus is going to die anyway. Why not get a few bucks for it? Then at last, absorbed with his own emotions, he yielded to the culture of death. Nobly choosing to abort himself. We don't know why that happens. It's, ha it's happened before. We don't know why. Choosing rather to abort himself rather than live, live on in a quality of life sadly lessened by pain. God forbid that we spend 15 seconds unhappy and in some kind of emotional pain in life. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. I don't feel like that my life really matters. And so I abort whatever I feel like is making me unhappy. When you think about it, yeah, Judas, he's perfect. The perfect role model for the postmodern world. Judas Iscariot. Now contrast Judas with this next statement. It's on your outline. I'll put it on the screen. It is those who wait in faith. You need the word faith. You could use trust. You could put hope there. But faith. Those who wait in faith, those who welcome Christ's resurrection into their remorse and into their pain and into their bondage, they are the ones who find power. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait in faith on the power of resurrection shall renew their strength. He is the resurrection and the life, not just in concept, but in truth, in reality. The couple who chooses to embrace with faith the possibilities of an infirm child rather than end his little life in the womb is in a place to experience Christ's resurrection power. 50% of all of the babies that are diagnosed Down syndrome in the United States are aborted, 50%. In the nation of Iceland, since 2008, 100% of all babies diagnosed prenatally with Down syndrome are aborted, 100%. The number is over 70% in Western Europe. The couple that struggles through and resists the popular impulse to walk off and leave their marriage, leave it in the tomb. If you resist the impulse, you position yourself to be the recipients of the resurrection power of God to restore and renew your marriage. To the postmodern culture, death looks like a true champion. Our society enshrines death. We write poetry about it, rap and hip-hop to its glory. We hurl the wounded, the weak, and the defenseless into the cruel arms of death as a sacrifice Suicide and abortion and euthanasia throw sacrifices to the postmodern pagan idols while society dances the dance of death. A Judas generation. Yet, in the midst of all of that, into the graveyard of our own personal experience, watch, Jesus comes with power. He is not offended by our grief. He's not offended by our failure, but he comforts us with his own tears and he lifts us up beyond our pain and the power of death by delivering us from such things with a spoken word. I am the resurrection and the life. And we must not underestimate the wonderful power and provision that God provides to us. The afternoon heat in the cemetery was staggering. It was really hot, really hot. Nevertheless, a crowd had followed Jesus and the family out to the cemetery from Bethany, the village. They arrived at the cemetery, adults now noisy and boisterous, as they walked through the gate and the opening of this brick wall, which surrounded the upper face of this cave-pocked graveyard. His voice when he spoke was strong, full of authority. Where have you laid him, he asked. Martha said he's over there, second from the right. He's in that, in that tomb. Jesus then said, roll away the stone. Martha protested immediately, no, no, Lord, our brother Lazarus has been dead four days. We can't, we can't move the stone. The odor will be horrible. We mustn't. Jesus went ahead, moving toward the opening to the, to the cave as if no one had spoken a word about the conditions. 
He wasn't going to hear an excuse. He wasn't going to hear a rationalization. He simply walked over to the mouth of this tomb, and he looked back at Martha like, let's move the stone. She nodded to a few young men, and they raced over, and, and as these three young men began to roll this stone away from the mouth of the tomb in its trough, you could see the women taking their scarves and covering their faces, bracing for the effect. Jesus now stood just a few feet away from this, from this grave and he raised one hand like this and his back to everyone else. Suddenly got very quiet. Not a sound. Utter silence. Not even a bird song. Nothing. Nine or ten year old boy told his parents later that in that moment he said he felt the hair on his arm, a little smooth brown-skinned arm, the hair on his arm stand up. He said to his mother, and it was hard to breathe. And then the words of Jesus. Again, calm, strong, assertive. Lazarus, come forth. A flash of light. People gasped, stepped back. And in the next moment, a man bent down low in order to stoop under the opening of this grave. And then he steps out, stands fully erect, completely clothed in his grave. It was shocking. It was unbelievable. One woman simply fainted, gasped and fainted into, his, into her husband's arms. Two women just fainted outright and just fell to the ground. And dust kind of jumped up around them. Some people unable to get their minds around what they are actually witnessing. You know, the disconnected reality of this moment and they can't, they can't conceptualize it and so they just run. They just turn and run. Most, though, just frozen in stunned silence. Lazarus standing before them, alive. <laughs> and after several moments, Jesus spoke again. And this is what he said. Unbind him. And let him go free. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that it's Christ's resurrection power that calls forth the dead to newness of life. The same power that worked in Christ's dead body to bring it alive from the grip of the grave now works in us to grant new life. Praise God. Praise God. Romans 6, 4, Paul put it this way. We are therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We may live a new life. I wonder if there's someone in the room today and you identified with Thomas in this story today, 
Maybe you're a person and you want to believe, but it's hard for you. You have doubts. You've wrestled with the whole idea of saying yes to this idea of Christ and his resurrection and the hope that he alone provides. But this is your day. Something is different about this moment for you. You sense God's closeness to you. Maybe even his invitation to you. And I want to ask you today, if you're ready to take a step and say yes to God's forgiveness, yes to the provision that God has provided for you in Jesus Christ, and yes to the hope that because Christ lives, you shall live also. And you're ready to take that step of faith. If that's true for you, I want to help you. You've come to the right place. We can help. The steps you take is to say, I'm sorry for my sins, my wrongs, and I thank God I acknowledge the work that Jesus has done for me as a substitute for me. And you invite him into your life to be your savior. God always hears that prayer. If you're in the room today, no one's looking around. No, one, no one's looking. If that's true for you and you want to take a step, you want to say yes to Jesus and his forgiveness in your life, to know Christ, to be at peace with God. If that's your prayer today, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? Raise it up. That's my prayer. I want to make that decision today to know Jesus. Good, good. I see a number of hands. Good. Now I want you to pray this prayer out loud right after me. Those of you who have raised your hands, and we're all going to do it together. No one prays alone here at Union Chapel. So everyone together, pray after me. Dear gracious God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for all the wrongs I've done. I thank you for what Jesus has done to give his life for me as a substitute for my death. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my life. I want to live for you. I want to know you. I want to serve you. Holy Spirit, empower my life so that I can live for you from this day forward. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I give you my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Now it's right to celebrate that for people who prayed that prayer. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah, praise God. Amen. All right, would you stand with us now as we sing?